All right, this morning we want to uh, move on to week, I think we're on week six of 12 here of of missions and uh, working through most of the materials coming from uh, John Piper's book on Let the Nations Be Glad. And uh, this, this is going to be sort of a transition class. So we've been talking a lot about the theology of missions, why it is that God is pursuing His glory, uh, why it is that God has called us to reach other people, and that is because He is pursuing His own glory, and He wants people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation to be known. So now we're moving from kind of uh, the theological here to the practical or the applicational section of the class, and this kind of serves as a transition because we're going to look at both. So let me invite you to turn to Third John chapter 1. You've gone to Third John two. You've gone too far. All right, Third John chapter one. Let's pray uh, before we begin. Lord, enlighten us this morning. Speak to us. May your Spirit. Uh, make it clear to us what we're looking at in Your Word, that this Word is actually from You and what it, is, what it means uh, for our specific families and, and our church specifically. Lord, help us to know how we can uh, take the truth of Your Word and move on into faithful obedience. And we pray that the result will be that more glory will be ascribed to Your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 3 John, we find John's advice and encouragement to his friend Gaius. Um, And he's talking to him about how to live the Christian life. And the primary point that he's trying to make is is that that, um, the truth of God is central to the work of God. John has been encouraged by a report about some brothers who or brethren who have returned from the church where Gaius is a member. And they brought a, a report of Gaius' spiritual health. And so John's now writing to Gaius to to uh, talk to him about how to live as a Christian, how the church ought to conduct themselves as as uh, a church of Christ. All right, so let's look at two specific ap- actions that are commended, uh, one implicitly and one explicitly. I'll read the first eight verses. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and, in, and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. All right, so here's here's John encouraging the believers here, Gaius and, and the brethren here, of how they ought to send out people. All right? And and there's going to be two parts of this that we want to look at. We want to look at the the goers and the senders. All right? So first the goers. 
That is those who do the sending. Those who are a part of sending the gospel out to, to the to the nations, so to speak. And so this church was was faithful in this way by sending out faithful men. And there's going to be a, a motivation that we see for why they sent them out. And then when we get to the senders, we're going to see a motivation for why they um, why they they sent them out. So first, the goers, uh, those who are sent. The characteristics of the goers are found in verses 5 through 7. Uh, we see that, that John here commends these brothers to Gaius, thanking them for the way that, that he has, has supported these who are being sent out in the past. And he wants to encourage them to do it all the more in the future. And he says specifically that you should do it in a manner worthy of God. So, so with regard to the goers, the reason that you should be so, uh, so passionate about sending them out it's because they're going out for the sake of the name. Notice verse 7. The reason that they should send them out because they went out for the sake of the name, except, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they didn't go on a, um, a mission among secular organizations or even um, secular people, so to speak, and, and, and just go out and try to raise support from, from the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about there. He's not saying you know Gentile churches don't help in any way. He's saying that, that unbelievers are not the source of their sending. They don't go to them in order to get the support from them. Instead, they're seeking support from people who, who, who are uh, on the same page as they are with regard to doctrine and, and uh, mission. So what marked out these brothers as, as, God's, as God-honoring goers? And it was there in verse 7 that they went out for the sake of the name. So they went out. They they had to leave where they currently were. That is, they intentionally left the place that they were living and they moved to travel to another place. This is what we're talking about when, it, when we talk about missions. Remember when he described mission work or what a missionary is? It is going across a culture. It's, it's going to a different culture other than your own and potentially across a language barrier as well. But at least across a culture in order to reach people for the sake of Christ. And uh, so, when when the text says there, verse 7, they went out, it's implied there that they had to leave something. They had to make some kind of personal sacrifice, some kind of inconvenience. Uh, it, it required an expense on their part, difficulty, uh, pulling up from what we often call, you know, I've already set my roots down here. They're pulling up from the roots that they've set down in this area. Right? And they, they go on to another place that would have been inconvenient, expensive, and, um, and require personal sacrifice and great difficulty. In fact, it would have been easier for them if they had not gone out. Right, As far as personal comfort, staying within uh, our, our comfort zone, then it would have been easy for them to just stay where they were. They knew the people that were around them. They knew what they needed to get by. But these people went out. And, um, and so that, that was important. But the most important thing about their going out was the reason that they went out. And it was, again, for the sake of the name. They didn't go out because, you know, they loved traveling. I, I love to travel. Um, they didn't go out because their business forced them to relocate. So that, that could be a way in which you take part in missionary work, but that's not the primary reason why these people went out. They didn't go out because, you know, they're, they're, they just love adventure. 
They love learning about new cultures. They love trying different foods. That wasn't it. They went out for the sake of the name. It was because they longed to bring glory to God's name by seeing His, his uh, name and His message spread to more and more people. It was because they longed to see people who didn't know and love the name of Jesus come to worship Him. That was why they went out. It was because they had a high opinion of God and His glory. John uses this phrase, for the sake of the name. And the, na- the, the, the word name is capitalized there, which is significant. It was a term used by the Jews before, uh, before Christ to refer to God. Remember, His name for the Old Testament Jew was too holy to even speak, too holy to even write. And so they actually changed it from Yahweh in the Old Testament. They would often, often write Adonai, which was a different word that meant Lord. It, it still referred to God, but, but they, were, they, they had held God's name in such reverence that they would often speak of Him in these terms. In fact, you have examples in the, in the New Testament when... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the exact thing, but I think it's Jesus talking to the, the disciples and He says, uh, he, he basically uses interchangeably the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And the reason that they would use the word heaven, that is the Jews would understand the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God to be the same thing, is because they revered God's name so much they wouldn't say the name of God. And so this is what, what John is doing here, that that this is the name, the, the name of God. They went out for the sake of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And obviously, we now know that this name finds its culmination or, or really finds its fulfillment in, in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They, they went out for the sake of the na- name. But notice what else they did. The second part of verse 7, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. They took no help from unbelievers. John wanted to make it clear that this was not just a, uh, you know, just just some kind of a a charity mission. This was a Christian mission, not a business trip, not not a um, not a trip to try to 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 alleviate the the hunger that's going on in the world. No, it was a it was a Christian mission. This shows that they were motivated primarily to to preach the gospel. They went out for the sake of the name, and they were doing it in a way where they didn't accept any money from unbelievers. And the reason um, that they needed this support was because they were going to go to a place that, again, is going to be difficult, and it would require that that they had some sort of support of their own so that they could give their time to the work of the ministry. And so that meant that they didn't want to charge people a fee to teach the gospel, Instead, they relied on the support of churches and on their own financial resources. And this is a very similar model to what we have today, that we want to send out our missionaries in that way so that they don't have to worry about uh, getting a second job or trying to charge people. The temptation of of trying to sell the gospel, meddle in the gospel, Um, instead they, they go out and they have their needs met because we're we as churches back here are seeking to do that. So John sees their ministry as very important, that, that, that these goers, the ones who are being sent out, are going out for a proper purpose, for the sake of the name, and they're doing it in a proper means. They're not taking money from unbelievers. So what about us personally as a church? Have you considered being a goer? 
Have you considered being a sent one? Do you desire to see God's glory spread to more and more people? Do you desire for for the glory of God um, to to reach other cultures? So let me just say a few things about that, and then we'll um, move on to the senders here in just a second. All right. First, consider what claims the evangelistic imperative to share the gospel might have on your activities and op- opportunities now. So maybe you are thinking in these terms, like. I think that I would really like to go to another culture to spread the gospel. So what I would say to you is, what kind of opportunities do you have to spread the gospel right now, and what are you doing with those? Because it's not like a switch that, that uh, you know, you lead all of your life, you're leading up to this one thing where you're sent out to another place to preach the gospel when you've never done it here. Okay, when I say preach the gospel, I just mean proclaim the gospel to an unbeliever, maybe someone that you work with or or um or a neighbor or family member. Okay, so what kind of evangelistic opportunities and activities are you involved in now? Don't expect that that when you get to the mission field that all of a sudden you'll have this great desire and you'll have this this great drive and self-discipline to be uh evangelistically oriented, right? My pastor often used to say, you know, what whatever you think that you are going to do or you you want to do down the road, start doing those kinds of things in little ways now. Because uh those who are faithful in little, God will make faithful in much. Don't expect to be made faithful in much when you're not faithful in little. All right? And and actually if we think about the whole system of what God has set up as far as how these missionaries go out, it's not, it, we've talked about this before, it's not an, uh, a rogue type of thing where I'm just going to be an independent missionary in that I'm just going to go out on my own and, and do this. No, you're sent out from a church. Paul and, Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas were sent out because the Holy Spirit uh, moved the believers in the church to agree that they would be sent out. They had a commissioning service. So, so that means that that inside of the system, it requires the church or the churches that are involved to actually evaluate your character, your credibility, and your um, and your call, so to speak. Uh, we we talk about call, and we'll talk about it a little bit more this morning in Exodus three and four. But um, part of God's call is not just what we feel. Okay, and we got to be careful with that even. But, but if someone, let me just try to do it this way. If someone felt like they were called to the mission field, but they were not faithful to their spouse, they were not faithful to church, what do you think the church would do in that situation? Would it be wise of the church to say, well, you know what, we're going to follow your feeling of the call and allow you to go? See, there's, there's two aspects of it. It's the same thing with regard to calling a pastor. When I came to this church, I, long before coming here, believed that God was leading me into a place of pastoring in some capacity at a church. But I, didn't, but, but I can't actually confirm that on my own. I can't make a self-confirmation of myself. I, I can't uh, commission myself to be a pastor. I need the call of my church, the, the recommendation of my church that I came from, Inner City Baptist Church, and I need the, 
the evaluation of this church to say, we've evaluated both your character and your doctrine, and we believe that you are qualified and, and, um, and uh, ready and that God is leading you to this place. So there's that, those, there are those two parts of it. We call it both the subjective, like I believe that God is leading me there, and the objective, that's the vote of the church. Okay, And the same thing is true with regard to missions work. So what that means is if, if, if the church is going to be evaluating you as a person or you as a family to go out as missionaries, then you need to be, you do need to be faithful with what you're doing now. Because the church will be watching. And if all of a sudden you say, you know what? I'm ready to go to the mission field. The church says, well, we don't think you are. We think you need to get some training. We think you need to improve in some of these areas. We think your character is a little bit weak here. Then, um, then that ought to be, uh, in some sense, God's message to you that, that there is still some more work to be done. We don't, we don't take offense from that. Um, instead, we, we, we learn from that and, and use that. So what kind of things are you doing now? Secondly, Pray and consider whether you should go out. Uh, are there things preventing you from doing, from going out in a in a way that's not honoring to God? Okay, or is, are there things preventing you from going out to another culture just in general? And there may be. You know, you may be in a position in life where you have a family member that you need to be near and you need to protect them and you need to care for them or something like that. You may have some. Uh, specific situation that's confining you to this area in some way. Uh, so, so this isn't meant to be a guilt trip, but but just think carefully. What kind of things are preventing me from going, and and are these legitimate things that are preventing me? Thirdly, talk to other Christians that you respect about this issue. Okay, this kind of goes back to what I was saying er- earlier. We kind of get serious about all the things that we think we want to do, and we're ready to go, and and yet. We haven't really talked to anyone. We've just kind of, this is my thing. I'm doing it. And if other people are in my way, then then uh, they can't be right. I know what God's telling me to do. And I would suggest to you, if you haven't talked to other believers, if you haven't talked to other leaders, then you don't know what God wants you to do. Okay? If you haven't sought the Scriptures and and uh, talked to other believers who, who love you and who are godly, then perhaps you're reason, leaving for the wrong reasons. Number four, um, talk to me. Okay, I'd love to be a part of the consideration of your involvement in cross-cultural evangelism. I, I pray often that God will send people from our church, not people that are you know problem people. They're really starting to weigh on me and cause me. No, I'm I'm praying that some of our best people will be sent out to the mission field so that they can be um, can be used for the sake of God. Because I believe actually God takes even when He takes some of our best people, like what happened at Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. He, he takes and fills it in with people who need to, to fill in the gap. So I'm, I'm not afraid of, of losing some of our best f- people, and I often even ask God myself, what is it that He wants me to do? And I feel very strongly that, that I, I should be here, but if God ever wanted me to go to another place, and uh, you know, obviously with the confirmation of the church and, and other people, I would certainly pursue that. All right, fifthly, consider involvement in short-term overseas opportunity. Okay, so we have an opportunity this year. In fact, next week is the deadline if you'd like to sign up for that. I've got flyers for that if you're interested in finding out more about that trip to India. 
All right, there, there's an opportunity. But I'm talking about more than just a couple of weeks. How about a couple of months? You really want to see if this is where God's leading you? Maybe increase your burden, the burden of your family. Go over there for a couple of months. Go to a place maybe that you've already been or some place that you've been praying about a lot. Or, or maybe even take a year and uh, consider what God could be doing through you. Number five, or number six, take advantage of talking with people who have gone out for the sake of the name. So talk to other godly, God-honoring missionaries. Talk to them. You have opportunities to talk to them when they come come into our church throughout the year. You know, they, they have lots of free time in their hands. Now, many of them are very busy moving from church to church, but but during the week, they don't have a lot of they don't have a whole lot of meetings set up, and they would love to meet you for breakfast or lunch or dinner, and just to talk about these things. Great way to to um, to interact with them as well, encourage them, and then uh, lastly, read some good books on missions. All right, so those are the goers. The goers read some book, good books on on missions, and that could be you know either a biography or or uh, any num- number of things. All right, any questions, comments on any of that? All right, so those are the goers. Now we want to look at the senders. The senders. God is good and righteous in all of His ways, and God is not looking for everyone to go. Okay, so if you've gone through this first part of the class and thought, man, I feel really guilty about not going. Uh, if if half of the people in the United States went, um, that might be a problem for those who are actually there. They would have to come up with their own, their own support for uh, for missions because they wouldn't be able to get as much support from here. So it's actually a good thing that there are stayers or senders, people who stay and who are willing to minister locally and be a part of this group who are going to help these other people move on for the sake of the name. So don't think of being a sender as a secondary mission or a secondary role, but it actually is a very important part to the mission of what God is doing. So, like I said before, you may be unable to go for various reasons, maybe health concerns or or otherwise, and maybe you can you're not able to go for longer term. What is your responsibility then in light of God's missionary program? And here's the second uh, response that John also commends in this letter. First, he commends the goers that they went out for a proper reason and proper means for the sake of the name, not taking anything from unbelievers. Now he wants to commend those who are staying, those who are sending. And uh, this is primarily stated in the spiritual health of Gaius. Look at verse 2. John says, Beloved, I pray that in all respect you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. This strikes me every time I read it. How would you feel if if someone prayed for you that that God would prosper your soul physically the way that it's going spiritually? In other words, that your physical health would match the way that you are spiritually. Are you confident enough in your spiritual life, your spiritual uh, well-being right now, that, that you would be okay with God matching your physical well-being to that. And this is what John is praying for Gaius. 
here. He's saying, I want your spiritual, I want your physical health to prosper the way that your spiritual health does. That's what I want out of you. And and of course, he knows that Gaius is a faithful worker, walking in the truth, and Gaius is is faithful to support his brothers, these itinerant missionaries to the Gentiles. So the a love for for the work of God's mission is not just something for missionaries. It's also the, the, the important mark of every healthy Christian. It, it's an important mark of he- every healthy Christian that we ought to have a love for God's work around the world, even if we're not the ones out there doing it. Okay? That is, directly. And John recognizes that, that Gaius was not sent out into the mission field, but that's okay because there is a mission that he has as well. He has a part of that mission here that he provides support for them in a deliberate and intentional and loving way that that helps spread the gospel. Okay, look at what John writes to Gaius in verses 5 to 8 again. Verse 5, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. Okay, so in other words, these aren't just your buddies that you're sending out for the sake of the name. You have other people that come in that are sent out from other churches and you're willing to support them. That's a good thing, John's saying. Look at verse 6. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, here's kind of the, the final thing. This is what it ought to lead to. We ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Okay, so I love that last phrase there, that we are fellow workers with the truth. Those of us who stay and send out people have a bigger responsibility than just writing a check to the missionaries. We are fellow workers with the truth. And, uh, and, and John was commending uh, the sending aspect of mission, the mission work here to Gaius. Without senders, it seems that God will not will not accomplish the Great Commission. The Great Commission will not be fulfilled without senders. And so, just as vital as the goers are to the work of, of missions, so are the senders. And we're notice the motivation behind this. Not only are we supposed to show hospitality to them, are we supposed to send them on their way, but notice verse, um, verse 6 in the second part of the verse, you will do well to send them how? Okay, or with what motivation? In a manner worthy of God in a manner worthy of God, in a manner that's worthy of what God would do if He were here in person sending them on their way. So we ought to have a passion for God's glory and and His glory being spread to more and more people. And and we should also have a passion for um, for doing it in a proper manner. All right, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll come back here to Third John, so if you want to mark that. But Philippians chapter four. Look how Paul views the sacrifices made by this poor church in Philippi for the cause of missions. Philippians four fourteen. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So remember, they they had sent gifts to him, and so he's saying you you actually shared in my affliction by sending these gifts. And then verse 18, notice what he calls these gifts. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And what are these gifts that you have sent? They just some kind of tangible thing to put in my bank account? No. A, frag- a fragrant aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These acts of service that we do to our missionaries, they may seem small in the big scheme of things. Like, wow, this didn't really impact their lives very much. You know, we really didn't shock the world with this gift that we gave or this hospitality that we showed when we were there. But what we need to recognize is that this kind of support that we give to our missionaries and just regular praying that maybe a lot of people don't even know that we're doing, it's often not seen by men, but it is seen by God and God will credit it to our accounts and that He accepts it as a as a, a fragrant aroma, a proper sacrifice pleasing to God. Don't underestimate the the power, the work that you have to do with regard to missionaries. Even if you see yourself or we as a church see ourselves as one little small cog in the wheel, we are a, a big part of what God's doing in in the work and, and ultimately back to the faithful and little thing, doesn't really matter how little it is, it's it's the heart that's behind it. Are we doing it in a manner worthy of God? Alright, so what does this mean for us as a church? Uh think about this personally and corporately. What does this mean for us? How can we faithfully send and or go? Personally, uh, we need to consciously plan our lives to allow ourselves to support workers who have gone out for the sake of the name. Okay, Back to the wartime mentality illustration of the Christian life. When you're in a wartime situation, whether you're on the battlefield or you're back at home, you prioritize your life. Okay, Some of you had parents or grandparents that were in the war or had grandmothers, for example, who stayed back and they had to work in factories right, to keep things going so they could send out these these bombers and they could you know provide for for people back home and so on there's a war time mentality that that moves us away from the from the fringes of life and all the comforts that there are in life and moves us to think more carefully about what our responsibility is with regard to the gospel now does this mean that we just you know sell everything that we have and and give it to missions um I, that's not that's not what i'm I'm moving towards. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. Having a nice car and enjoying yourself is not wrong. You know, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But as I mentioned last week when we were looking, uh, I think it was in Exodus, we need to find our our greatest satisfaction not in the things of this world, but in in God. Ultimately, we can find satisfaction in all the things of this world that that God has given us to enjoy. Obviously, not sin. I'm not talking about that, but but God has given us these things that He's created to enjoy, so let's enjoy them, but we do it to the glory of God, ultimately to God's glory. And so we shouldn't feel guilty if we enjoy some of the things that, that the world has to offer as long as we're doing it to the glory of God. But we should not and we should never allow the world's values to determine ours. And this is one of the things that I've been struck by uh, most poignantly in the mission trips that I've taken over the last two years. That, that we could live on a on much less if we had to. You know, if we were in a wartime situation, we could live on much less. Just watching their cultures and how they live on so little, uh, I know that we could do it as well. So how do we define extravagance as a Christian? Uh, what are some of the ways that we can work to cultivate an appropriate wartime mentality? Okay, so uh, just a few things to think about with regard to this. Is your life... 
lifestyle, the house you live in, the car you drive, the job you hold, the school you send your children to, the clothes you buy, the vacations you take, the things you do with your time, are they in large measure calculated to allow you to better advance the praise of the name of God among all peoples? Is, is your whole life and all your pleasures, all your resources set up in such a way that, that it, it, it enhances the progress of the gospel? Okay, that, that's, a good, that's a good question that we need to ask ourselves. Okay, how, how about this? Do you pray regularly for the workers that we support at Ambassador Baptist Church? We have a church directory, and in the back of that we have all of our missionaries. We have all of our missionaries on this board. We have our missionaries on our website. There's lots of places you can go to find who our missionaries are. Every Wednesday, Sarah puts a missionary in our prayer bulletin so we know who to be praying for. And we just kind of on a regular basis are praying for them. But do you pray for them more often than just once a week or just when it's brought up in church? Do you pray for them on your own? And what I encourage you to do um, is, is to pray for them once a week. It's very easy just to pray for one or two of them a day, and you can get through the whole list pretty pretty quickly. I have nine missionaries. Uh, again, this is something that may not be seen by other people, but God sees it when done uh, in a manner worthy of God. God sees it as a fragrant aroma and an acceptable sacrifice to Him. All right, thirdly, find ways to personally show support and encourage to the uh, encouragement to the Christian workers. Okay, many in our church show hospitality to missionaries when they come into the area. And what about you? Have you done something like that? Is there something that you can point to tangibly and say, this is how I encouraged our missionaries? Maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be provide a whole meal for them, but maybe take them off for, out for coffee and or just let them know that you're praying for them. There are specific, tangible ways in which you can say that you minister to them while they're there, while they're here. Do they know it? I mean, do they have any idea that you minister to them? Um, again, the purpose is not to be seen by man, but but ultimately we can encourage people in this way. Um, all right. Any thoughts on on that with regard to? How this applies to us personally. Some of these things come up uh, multiple times. We've talked about some of these before, but that's okay because we often need to be reminded about what we already know. All right. Anything? Greg? Yes, that was uh, that was Stacy provided the breakfast and uh, coffee was coffee was there as well. So. Yeah, you can thank her. All right. What about uh, in our life together as a church? All right, let's think corporately now. What implications does Third John have for the manner and the degree to which we should work to support those who we send? Um, if we want to send people out in a way that's that's not shoddy or done halfway, but rather in a manner worthy of God, what would that look like for our church? And I'll just tell you what I often tell um, members in our newcomers class, and I I mention in other other venues, particularly when we have um, business meetings or when we have missionaries, and they'll they'll tend to come up. And one of the things that I think that we can do to to send out these workers in a manner worthy of God is to support fewer missionaries with 
with more complete financial support. In other words, a greater percentage of support. Uh, instead of trying to be in every single country in the world, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to churches like this where they just have hundreds and hundreds of missionaries. Some of them are bigger. They can do that. But, but even some smaller churches, I grew up at a church of about 100, and we had at least 80 missionaries. And I had no, I have no idea how much we get, we supported these guys. But now that I look back on it, it couldn't have been more than 10 or 20 bucks a month uh, with the size of church that we had, uh, maybe even less than that. And yet we could put our little flag, you know, up on the board and say that we got missionaries all over the world. We don't know what's going on with a lot of these people. Um, we, we, it's hard for us to have any time with any of these people because they, they're constantly coming back from the field and so we got to have them in our church and have them in our church. They're in there quick and then they're gone uh, because they got to go to a lot of churches. There's several reasons why I think we need to support fewer missionaries with a greater percentage of support. One is for us. It helps us to focus on some specific ministries that are honoring to God. That it, instead of having 150 missionaries to pray for, we have nine missionaries. That's not very difficult to, to understand what's going on in their lives. In fact, it's not very difficult to learn the names of everybody in their family. One of the things Archie Perez told me when we were down in South America is, you know, one of the things that that I would just love is if people knew my kids' names and they prayed for them by name. Uh, because it tends to be that all the prayers focused on, on me and Ruth he would say, but but my kids are really important part of their ministry, uh, of our ministry, and and they are, and and I wish you would pray for them, and we do we do that at our church, but uh, it becomes difficult when you have the family like the Cuthbertsons, and you got to remember I'm trying trying to remember all of them now, the the twelve of them, but um, but that's a good thing to be praying for them by name, knowing them by name, and um, and it helps us to get to know them better. The other thing is it's helpful for them. Okay, I, I talk about this often, and that is that when they come back to the field, one of the things that they, uh, some of them are frustrated about because of the number of churches that they support. Some of it they brought upon themselves. Uh, some of it's just the nature of our Baptist system uh, where we we give $25, $50 a month, and, and, they have, and so they have to have, you know, 50 to 100 churches support them. What does that mean when they come back for one year? All the churches expect, we're giving you money, you need to come to our church. Well, if that's the case, like Archie and Ruth, they, they go all over the, the country from, from up in the northeast all the, way down, all, all the way over to California, Florida, Texas. They're all over the place, putting on thousands and thousands of miles on their vehicle and just briefly being in churches. And I think we would do well to take on more support. As we start to take on more of the piece of the pie, so to speak, uh, then guess what? They don't have to go to as many churches. What if an Archie had like 10 missionaries? Like Mike Jewell has 15 missionaries. So you know what? When he comes back for furlough, he actually enjoys his time back. He gets to spend time in one place. He's got, I think, maybe three regions where he goes, mostly Michigan, and then I think he, he goes to a couple other places. Um, part of it, too, if you're going to the missionary, to be a missionary, make sure that you get some churches and some nice weather areas. That forces you to go down there, and you have to go see your churches, right? So um, might be a little bit more difficult if it's somewhere like Hawaii, but but uh, might want to think about that if you're um, if 
you're going into the missions. But, um, but, 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 but for them, it's, it's actually a, an enjoyable time. They can spend time in one place. Here's what would happen. Here, here's kind of the, the ideal model. And we can't force every other church to do this, but I think we can start moving in that direction ourselves and start to see this. But what if every missionary only had ten churches that supported them? Now you might say, well, then less people are praying for them. Yeah, but people are praying for them more specifically, right? Because they know their specific needs. And when they come back, what happens when they only have 10 or 12 missionaries? How long do you suppose Archie would be in our church specifically? Not in our area, in our church. He'd be in for a whole month, right? He could just hang out with us. He doesn't have to preach every time, but but he could share his ministry, hang out with us, learn more about us. And and by the way, uh, the closer relationship that, that we have with our missionaries... Uh, the easier it is for them to pray for us as well. Do you realize that, that our missionaries actually pray for us? Many of us by name. Because they are, they are in many ways dependent upon the churches and the states and their health so that, so that, that, that they can continue. And so they pray for us. And they, they pray for us by name. That's one of the reasons that I started this newsletter here uh, this last quarter because I want, I want missionaries to be able to, especially if they are praying for us, that they have specific ways that they can be, they can know about what's going on in our church. All right, so that just said a lot of things. But, but um, So instead of taking on loads and loads of missionaries, I'd like to see us start moving towards like getting 5 to 10% support of the missionaries. And, and they're constantly needing more support. Uh, in fact, last year we raised uh, nearly everyone's support, everyone but Archie, because he was already at 100%. But... Um, we, we raised everyone's support because we wanted to, to, to move in this direction. And, uh, and I would love to see us at, we're, we're currently between 15 to 3% of their total support. And I'd like to see us at 5, 10, 15% of some of these. Uh, I don't think it's wise for them to get all their support. I don't think we should ever get to a place where we're 100% uh, because uh, we would basically be in a, you know, in a, um, non-biblical way of looking at it. Um, not unbiblical, non-biblical, not in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? But we're kind of forcing them to put all their eggs in one basket. Okay, So we want to kind of spread out. They're going to be a little bit uncomfortable about that themselves because uh, if they had all their support in one church, then that, that could be a problem if, if our church went down or something like that. So uh, I think we ought to move in that direction. It would increase our relationship with them. It would help us to know how to pray for them better as well. All right. Other things that we can do corporately is care for the needs while they're in the States. Have them over our house. Take them out to lunch. Mention these. Maintain personal contacts. Don't expect the church to contact the missionaries on your behalf. You have access to all of their information. You have the same access to the same information that I have. Okay, so you contact them, you email them, you send them a letter, you send them a card on their birthday, you send them a Christmas card. Uh, what, an, what an encouragement it would be for them to feel like, hey, you know what, we're not alone. We're not, we're not alone here, out here in the world. There are actually people who care for us. Um, and then take trips, certainly. Even though you may not be going there permanently, it would be helpful just to go out and visit them, see what, see what it's like out there. All right, let's uh, move quickly to the purpose of the mission. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. As we want to develop a more biblical worldview of mission, there's one 
more thing that we need to consider, and that's the overriding purpose for our missionary efforts. What is it that's driving us that we're aiming towards? Okay, let's look at these verses quickly and draw some application. Verse 8, To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me, that is, this mystery, this, this gospel, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, that is the gospel, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so here is the purpose of the mission. It is that Christ will be glorified so that God's wisdom could be seen in the exaltation of Christ. And the way this happened is in His church. Look at verse 10 again. So that the manifold wisdom of God. How is God's wisdom put on display in verse 10? Through the what? Through the church. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The angels and demons are watching what's going on within the churches. And, and they want to see... Uh, they want to see how we respond to various situations. They want to see how we show love or don't show love. And and understanding of the church being central, again, that is the goal. That's the source of mission. That's where the missions comes out of, the church, the local church. And then that's the goal. That's what we're working towards. We want to see people plant churches so that Christ's name is glorified in the world. All right? So, in conclusion... We all have a responsibility to choose how we're going to live. There is a war going on in the world. Millions of people, thousands of people group right now have no chance to hear the gospel. And if you're not a goer, then you must be a sender. Those are the only two options for a Christian. If you're not a goer, you must be a sender. We should not spend too much time thinking about rules for our lifestyle, but but rather we should spend our time thinking of meditating on praying to the One who poured out His life to purchase us. Our worldview should be shaped and should be primarily cast in the wonderful, searing light of the Gospel. It's not a set of rules. You know, some people when they look at the Christian, oh, you're a Christian, so that means you can't do this. No, that's not what the Christian life is about. Christian life is about developing a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's developing a a right sort of lenses by which we can see the world and we can understand things according to God's view. And as you study through um, 3 John, um, maybe I would encourage you just to ask this question. How how am I going to relate to missions? Okay, how how will you resolve to live? Let me just leave you with... uh, We don't have time. All right. Let me just see if you have any questions. There were, there were a few more things that I wanted to uh, say on Third John, but we'll have to have to pass on those. Any questions or comments? All right. So, senders or goers—the only two choices—and I hope that you are active in your responsibility as a sender supporter. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work that You have done in our church. Thank You for the desire for our church to reach out to people for the sake of the name. And I pray that You continue to advance Your fame, Your glory around the world as You reach people with the Gospel. Thankful that 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 happened once to us in our area, that it came to us. 
And we want to see more and more people um, proclaim your name and bow the knee. So give us the, the strength to be proper senders. Help us think wisely about how we can be better senders and how to develop relationship with, relationships with these missionaries. And then, Lord, I pray that you would call some to be goers, that you would send them out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the unbelievers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.